Hello, thanks for tuning in to the West Side Podcast. This is where we're going to be posting some of the audio from our gatherings on Sundays, and we're hoping to develop some other content that we're excited to share with you in the future. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, step by step. And we really hope that this podcast helps you do just that. We hope it helps you get closer to Jesus. We hope that you would be reconciled to God and not only that, be reconciled to the relationships around you and to the city that you live in, wherever that happens to be. Again, thanks for tuning in and enjoy. We're going to read the book of Mark. Now, listen, I've been thinking about this for a while. And, you know, I was really challenged. It was about two years ago. I was convicted, actually. Um, I was convicted that I was reading a lot of books about the Bible, but not necessarily just, like, reading the Bible. And I know that's, like, a really weird thing for you to hear the pastor say. All right? But sometimes when, you know, you're studying the Bible and you're, like, teaching it to others, I was reading a lot of commentaries, a lot of books about the Bible, but I was noticing that I was reading more books about the Bible than I was the Bible itself. And I was, felt convicted about that. I was like, that's a, that's a problem. And, um, and so we do all sorts of sermon series about all sorts of different topics. We just finished one called How to Misunderstand the Bible because the Bible can be misunderstood. And we just spent three weeks on that. But I thought the perfect sermon series to just dive right in after talking about how, man, it's really easy to, to misunderstand the Bible. What if we just took one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is, uh, is an account of the life of Jesus. And what if we just walked through the whole book of Mark. I don't know how long it's going to take us. It might take us two months. It might take us eight months. I don't know. I don't know. But we're going to walk through the book of Mark, and I'm so excited to do that with you because Mark is such a tremendous, uh, tremendous book. And, uh, and I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read the, just the first 15 verses um, right here at the very beginning, and then we'll just, this is kind of an introductory, uh, an introduction to the whole book of Mark. Um, but, uh, but I would say this, listen, uh, if you think you already know the Bible, let's come to the scriptures humbly together, all of us together. And then if you're here and you're like, man, I don't even know if I believe it. I don't know where I'm at spiritually. Maybe you're spiritually unresolved. Listen, you are in the right place, in the right place, because as we walk through the book of Mark together, I just think, in fact, no, I know, I know that just, if you just, if you just look at Jesus, you are going to, you, your heart is going to be captured in a new way. I don't know what kind of home you grew up in. I don't know what kind of like religiosity sort of baggage you might be carrying with you. Maybe you've got a lot of that. Maybe you've got none of that. I don't know, but if, if you're kind of new to this whole faith, faith journey or you're right at the beginning or you feel like you're a couple steps away, I can't think of a better place for you to start than the book of Mark. Welcome to the journey with us. You're in the right place. I'll read it. Um, first 15 verses of Mark chapter one. The beginning of the gospel, uh, the, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Here's what Isaiah the prophet says. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out, went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. 
After me comes the one, comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once, the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. And after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And here's what he says. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Um, I, um, I'm a really big fan of Christopher Nolan. He's one of the best uh, movie directors ever. Christopher Nolan films are some of my favorite films. You've got Inception, you've got Interstellar, you've got The Dark Knight. Um, I think he directed another one of the Batman ones. I mean, there's just a recently directed one called Tenet. There's just so many really, really great Christopher Nolan films. And what I love most about Christopher, Christopher Nolan films are the beginning of Christopher Nolan films. Because Christopher Nolan has this way with his movies of just like dropping you right into the middle of a story and you have no idea what's going on. I was just watching Inception the other night and Inception starts with like, like, he, like Leonardo DiCaprio gets washed up on a beach and then there's like people grab him and take him to this room and there's this old guy spinning this little thing on a desk and you're like, what is this and who is this guy? And the music is really like dissonant and kind of like just creates this tension and then people start shooting at each other and then water starts crashing into the house and you're like, what is going on? I mean, you're so confused and it's so exciting and you're just like thrust into this other world uh, and you have no idea what's going on, but you have to figure it out. And that's exactly what Mark does with the beginning of his account of the life of Jesus. Notice there is no manger scene. There is no birth of Jesus. We usually don't read from Mark at Christmas time because there's no Christmassy stuff in the book of Mark. It just starts out just like, like Jesus is like a grown man at the beginning of Mark's gospel. And Mark's gospel just like drops you in, into this story. And you're like, okay, what's, what's happening? And like, well, he's going here and he's going here. And uh, I think the word um, immediately or, or just right after that, like those phrases are in the first chapter of the book of Mark 14 or 15 times because it's just, they're going here, they're going here, they're going here. I mean, we read it. I mean, just picture it. It's like, okay, this is the beginning. And then there's gonna be this messenger. And then there's this, this, uh, this prophecy from Isaiah. And then you've got this weird guy with camel hair suit. And he's like got these weird snacks that he's eating eating like out in the middle of and he's baptizing people and what's that about and then he's like he's somebody's gonna come after me that I'm not even worthy to untie sandals but he's gonna baptize you in the Holy Spirit and you're like wait who's this Holy Spirit person and then Jesus shows up and you're like oh that's the Jesus guy and then Jesus is baptized and then heaven gets ripped open and then like this dove comes down and then all of a sudden Jesus is like going out into the wilderness and Satan's out there 
Like, what? Like, and then Mark doesn't even tell you what happens out there. It just says that, like, Jesus emerged and went somewhere else. And I love that because it's like in the movies where, where like, the good guy goes into a room with the bad guy. And you, the viewer, don't see what's happening in the room. But you hear, like, shotguns and you hear, like, fighting in there. And then, and then just, like, the good guy emerges, you know? And you're like, oh, I guess the good guy won, you know? And that's what happens here. And then Jesus is out of the wilderness. And then he's proclaiming these things. And you're just head spinning, like, what is going on. I love how Mark starts his gospel. And what I want to do is I want to zoom into the very first verse of the book of Mark, um, the first chapter, and then we're just going to zoom out. And this kind of kind of intro, like what's going to go on in the book of Mark? Um, it's this first verse. It says this, verse one, it says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. So he starts out by saying, this is the beginning which is kind of an odd way to start out your, your account like of your story, right? It's an odd way to say, hey, this is the beginning of the book. Um, I read, uh, I'm reading lots of kids' stories to my little ones right now, and even children's writers are more, are more, uh, you know, uh, more creative than to start out their book by saying, hey, this is the beginning of my book, y'all. You know, like there's lots more creativity. And so what's, what's Mark doing? Like he's just saying like this is, is he just saying, is he just not being very creative? And he's just saying, hey, this is the beginning of my book. Um, no, no, it's not what's going on because Mark's doing something really intentional here. When he says, when he says, hey, this is the beginning, what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to remind us and echo back to Genesis chapter one. Remember Genesis chapter one, the very first book of, of the scriptures is in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And so why is Mark doing this? Well, I think he's trying to say that you know, this same God that initiated creation at the beginning is now initiating redemption. Like the, the, very, the first scripture the, at the very beginning, God is creating, but now that Jesus is here, now new creation has come. And so he's trying to remind us that something God created at the beginning, but now, now something new is taking place. It's a fresh start. It's new creation. He's not being lazy with his words. He's, he's, he wants to tell us something when he says, this is the beginning of the book. And then he says, this is the beginning about the good news. That's where we get the word gospel. And you've heard that word a bunch. We're going to talk about that next week as we intro the book of Mark. What does it mean by good news? What does the word gospel mean? What are we supposed to take from that? We'll talk about that more next week. Uh, but then uh, what's funny is about this first sentence is telling us who Jesus is, right? It's the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. That's the chosen one, this one that's supposed to come and make all things right, the Son of God. At the very beginning of the book, Mark is telling us exactly who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's, he's God in the flesh. And we, the re this is what's interesting, and this is what kind of creates some of the exciting tension at the beginning of his gospel, because we, the readers, already know from the beginning who Jesus is. Oh, it's Jesus. It's God. It's the Messiah. But the characters in the story don't know who he is yet. And so we, the readers, know, but the characters in the story don't know yet. And so it's fascinating. It creates this tension, like, oh, how are they going to figure it out? Actually, I will say this. Nobody knows who Jesus is um, throughout the book of Mark, at least, in, at least initially, except one group of people. It's the demons. The demons know exactly who he is. But everybody else, all, all the other people in the story, they're like, they're confused. And I think this is brilliant. I think this is absolutely brilliant that what Mark is doing here is he's going to, he wants to, how is Mark going to show us who Jesus really is amongst these people who are really confused about him? 
And it's brilliant to me because are we living in a day where people are very confused about who Jesus is? Yes. In fact, I think every, <laughs> all of human history, that's one of our big, biggest problems is we're confused about who Jesus is. We have all sorts of ideas of who Jesus is. And we, you, 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 all of us have misconceptions about who Jesus is. We need to own that. We need to just be learners and come to the scriptures humbly. But no doubt you have family members. You have people that you work with. You have, you have, you're, you're around people all the time. And there is a lot of confusion about who this Jesus is. Is he actually God in the flesh? Or was he just a really good teacher? Just kind of like Gandhi, you know, or kind of like the Buddha, you know, is he, well, like what is exactly is Jesus all about? There's still so much confusion today. And there was confusion in his, in his day. And so Mark is going to just walk us through how do these confused people find out and get a clear picture of who Jesus is. That's what's happening in the story, but that's what's happening in my life right now. That's what's happening in your life right now. So that's why it's so, so brilliant that it's set up this way. Um, we make Jesus into whatever we want him to be. We really do. All of us are guilty of this. I know uh, that Tony Robbins, who's, you know, like the motivational speaker, he would do these things in his, uh, in his big um, conferences where he'd have everybody close their eyes. And, uh, well, he'd have everybody look around the room and, and just pick, picture, pick out everything that's brown, okay? I'm not going to make you do it right now. But, you know, picture like a room of people and they're looking around. Okay, he would say, pick out everything that's brown. All right, look at everything that's brown and then have everyone close their eyes and then he'd say, all right, now try to remember everything that's blue. And it's hard to do because you usually, usually you see what you're looking for. That's the principle. We, we usually just see what we're looking for. And so likewise, we can come to the scriptures just like that. And we can kind of read into Jesus who we want him to be. We can read into Jesus who we, we think he should be. And maybe a Jesus who, who helps me achieve my life goals. A Jesus who, you know, isn't going to demand too much of me. And we follow that Jesus because it's just easier because that's the Jesus that we want to see. And we have to be so, so careful that we don't, that we don't do that because here's this theme that's going to happen over and over again. People are continuously thinking they know who Jesus is, but Jesus keeps having to correct them and say, no, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. No, no, no. You haven't seen me clearly yet. That's not who I am. Look at this. He says this. He says in verse 15, he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. And so what happens in the book of Mark, if we just zoom out for a second, is the first eight chapters, everything happens in the first eight chapters that you would expect would happen if, if, if God said, the time has come, the kingdom is breaking in. Jesus does tons of miracles in the verse, first seven, you know, seven and a half or eight and a half chapters. He's multiplying your food multiple times. He's walking on water. He's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. Like, like the kingdom has broken in. Like, like something new is happening. All the things that you would expect would be happening if, if somebody declares the kingdom of God is here happens in the first half of the book of Mark. And then when we get to chapter eight, it shifts. Everything changes. Eight, chapter eight's like the hinge of the story uh, that Mark is trying to tell us. Because here's what happens in Mark chapter 8. I'll read it. Just starting in verse 27. Jesus and his disciples, they went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And it's funny because this is the question that the reader already knows. Because we read about it in the very first verse. It's, we already know who he is. He's the Messiah. 
He's God in the, in the flesh. But they're still trying to figure it out. And so Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And right at that point, we're, you know, we're, we're, we'd probably be thinking like, oh, he got it. Like, he got it. He got the right answer. Like, good, good job, Peter. You know, like he finally sees it. But here's the problem. Here's the problem is that Peter, the question is, is what kind of a Messiah does Peter think Jesus is? Because Peter has a vision for who this Messiah is supposed to be and who Jesus is supposed to be as the Messiah at this point. Peter has this idea. What Peter believes at this point of who the Messiah is, even though he's got the right answer, he's got the wrong answer as far as what the Messiah is supposed to do. Because in Peter's mind and in the rest of the, the Jewish people's minds, the, the kind of Messiah that they were expecting was this Messiah that was going to be dropped in into this world that was, into their world that was oppressed by the Romans and they had taken their land and what they were expecting from the Messiah is for the Messiah to come and not show up with like sandals and like a servant's heart, but to show up with like a really big stick and just beat the Romans away. They weren't, like the kind of Messiah they were looking for wasn't really like Jesus-esque, it was more like Dwayne the Rock Johnson-esque. Like that's what they're expecting. They're hoping that the Messiah comes and just goes to war with Rome, raises up an army, you know, and just marches and just, you know, kicks their tails and kicks them out and just keeps their land forever. Like that's what they were expecting. And that's what Peter was saying when he was saying, you're the Messiah. And we know that he was wrong on this because look what happens next. Look what happens next. In verse 30, Jesus, he says, Jesus is the Messiah, Peter says, and we're thinking like, oh, he got the right answer. But then verse 30, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He says, okay, you're almost there, but you're not ready yet. Don't tell anybody about this. Which is, you'd think that Jesus would say, Peter, you got it. Go tell the world. You know, spread the word. Yes, I'm the Messiah. But Jesus over and over again, in fact, this is, this is what theologians call the messianic secret motif. And you see it all through the book of Mark. People are saying, oh, I think this is who you are. And Jesus, or Jesus heals someone and they're about to go tell everybody. But Jesus says, shh, don't tell anybody. And it's like, have you ever read this part in the, in the, in the New Testament? And you're like, what is Jesus doing? Like he's telling people, to, it just doesn't seem like a very good strategy. It's not a very good marketing campaign. If you want the world to know, like just let the word get out, you know? But Jesus constantly is saying, shh, shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. And he says, Peter, don't tell anybody. And then listen to his, the corrective teaching that he brings. Peter says, you're the Messiah, right? And Jesus says, mm, don't tell anybody. And here's what he says, verse 31. He says, then he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teacher and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He took him aside and he began to rebuke him. He's, which I don't think is a good idea, all right? I don't think it was a very good idea. Because see, from this point, from this point, what's gonna happen in the rest of the book of Mark is the miracles essentially stop. There's a few more miracles, 
But essentially, but it's not like in the first half. In the first half, there's tons of miracles. It's like, oh, the kingdom is here. The second half, Jesus stops doing hardly, hardly any miracles. And now every chance he gets, he talks about the cross. He says, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. If you want to know what the Messiah is all about, then you got to look at it through the lens of the cross. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. Peter says, you're the Messiah, right? And Jesus says, shh, don't tell anybody yet because you don't have full, you don't quite get it yet, Peter. Let me, let me explain it to you. He sits it down with them and then he says, he says here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to the cross. And he spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And I just imagine that conversation, right? Like Peter's like, Jesus, come here. Like, hey, could we just tone down the cross talk? Because we've got like this really great thing going on and like people are kind of rah, rah, rah and you saw all the people that are following you. And so like, you know, like, it sounds like a fun, you know, maybe it's you know, like you're gonna, you're gonna die. Like, I don't know about that, but hey, Jesus, could you just tone that down a little bit? Because, you know, like, let's get back to the, hey, healing people and like, let's kick out the Roman stuff. And Jesus, look what Jesus says. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter. And he says, get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. <laughs> I was just struck by this because just everyone can make their own versions of Jesus. Even his earliest followers had their own versions of who Jesus was, that he had to constantly correct. I mean, the people that were with him every single day had misconceptions about who he is and what he came to do. Even his closest followers were guilty of this, and so are we. We just easily fashion a version of Jesus that we're comfortable with, whether it's a Jesus that fights for my causes or a Jesus that supports my sexual lifestyle or a Jesus that makes me rich or a Jesus that gives me friends or a Jesus that makes me feel better than other people. Here's what we do. We fashion a Jesus that we feel comfortable following and then we follow him. And Jesus says, no. Jesus says, you can't do it. That's not me. You can't fashion a, virgin, a, a version of, of me and then, and then think that you're following me. No, if you wanna follow me, then you have to follow me to the cross because that's where I'm going. If you wanna understand who I am, if you wanna understand what salvation is all about, if you wanna understand what following me really means, then you can't just come up with your own version of me. You have to follow me all the way. And Jesus says, and that direction is heading towards a Roman cross. They had much to learn about what it really meant to follow Jesus. And we have much to learn about what it means to follow Jesus. We have much to learn. And like I said, after this point, the miracles sort of die down and then Jesus is just constantly the cross, the cross, the cross. The only way to correctly understand Jesus and follow Jesus is to understand that Jesus gave up his power, that Jesus was a suffering, uh, he was a suffering servant. He was king of the cosmos, yes, but also he came and he washed his disciples' feet. He, he suffered on a Roman cross. If we don't have that understanding, then we're missing a huge part of what it means to follow Jesus. And according to Mark, I love this, and we'll get there as we, you know, who knows when we'll get there. But according to Mark, when Jesus is hanging on this cross, there's a Roman centurion at the foot of the cross. And 
you couldn't think of a character in the story who was farthest away from, from, from God, farthest away. Like it was the last person that you would think would, would get it, you know? But here's this Roman centurion, and it's his job at the foot of the cross to make sure that Jesus is all dead, not mostly dead, all dead. It's his job to make sure that Jesus is all dead. And Jesus dies on the cross, and according to Mark, the Roman centurion looks up at Jesus, and he says, surely this, surely this is the Son of God. And it's like Mark, Mark just lets it hang there. He just lets it hang there. And it's like we're supposed to, we're supposed to, we're supposed to like finally go, oh, okay, okay. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. He, he is the, really the first person in the story that really gets it is the person that would be the last person that we would think would get it. So the only way that we can really understand Jesus is to look at the cross. And... <laughs> And I know I'm getting into kind of my territory that I'm going to get next week. But when I mean, when I mean that the only way we can understand Jesus is, by, is through the cross, what I, what I don't ne fully necessarily all mean is penal substitutionary atonement. That Jesus paid for my sins on the cross and now I can, now when I die, I go to heaven. That's true. That's true. That's what Jesus came to do that. He came to be a ransom for many. But, but when, we, when, when, when Mark is trying to help us see that the only way I can understand Jesus is if I look through the cross, he's meaning, he's meaning that, yes, Jesus died for my sin, but he also is trying to get us to see that the cross is the controlling narrative for understanding Jesus, and he means more than just that Jesus died on the cross for my sin so I can go to heaven after I die. He means more than that. There's something more about the cross than just saving me personally. There's something about the cross that unlocks the kind of people that God wants to create who follow him, who actually follow him. <clears throat> After Peter rebukes him, listen, here's what happens. After Peter rebukes him, remember Peter's like, come on, no more of this talk. Here's what Jesus says. And he called the crowd to him. This is verse 34. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words and in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with all the holy angels. It take a lot to unpack everything that Jesus said right there. But I think the big thing that I take away from this is that following Jesus is a very bloody enterprise. It's a very bloody enterprise. It's like the most beautiful thing you will ever do with your life. And it's going to be one of the one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life. <clears throat> Two examples of what happens in the story and how all this fleshes out. And then after I give those examples, I'll have the band come back up um, and, uh, and we'll just respond. Uh, here's an example of what I'm talking about, of this, these, these moments where he's trying to help people understand that if you want to follow me, you got to follow me to the cross. It means dying to yourself. 
it means just like surrendering everything. And in that surrendering of everything, it's not like you lose yourself. No, it's like you actually gain the real self. You gain the real you. But nobody's quite getting at it. So just one chapter later after Mark 8, Mark 9, all right? Remember Jesus had just said like, no, it's about the cross. Jesus is being painfully clear about what, what it means for him to be the Messiah and what salvation looks like. Um, but Mark chapter 9, verse 31, he said to them, the son of, he's talking to his disciples again. He says, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant. And they were afraid to ask him about it. And then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. <laughs> this is, like this is supposed to be a little bit funny, honestly, for us. Because Jesus is talking about the cross. It's about the cross. It's about the cross. And they're confused. They're afraid to ask him about it. And then on the way, which is, means they're literally on the way, but they're also like on the way of following Jesus. And so it's just like us on the way of following Jesus. They get confused and they're sidetracked. And what do they do? They start arguing about who's the greatest. Who does Jesus like the best? And they're just arguing about it. And you like, Peter's like, no, I think he liked me the best because like sometimes I say some really cool stuff and like, and he just seems really impressed by some of the things I say. And John's like, no, like I'm, he definitely loves me the most because I'm like, you know, like I'm his closest buddy. And like, you know, um, we're, we're, we're pretty tight. And everybody else is like, no, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. And you just picture Jesus as just like face palm, you know, like, like, oh my gosh, these guys, like they just don't, they're just missing it. They're missing it. And so Jesus says, what's his corrective teaching? He sits down with them and he says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus is saying, if you want to rule the world, you serve. In my kingdom, that's how it works. Another example, Mark 10, next chapter later. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him. More detail this time. Jesus is getting like so detailed about what is going to happen. Mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and they said, Teacher, they said, we want, you to do, we, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. We've got a favor for you, Jesus. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. And they said, can you let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in glory? And they're like, hey, if you're going to be like, I mean, could we like rule and reign with you? I mean, they're just, they're like, oh, they're, okay. Like it's the kind of the wrong question to ask, you know, at this point. But Jesus is trying to help him understand. And look what he does. He, the other disciples hear that they're asking about this and they just get angry. They're like, well, who are these guys to ask to sit at Jesus' right hand? And uh, they were indignant with James and John. This is verse 41. So Jesus calls them together and says, you know, I love this, by the way. It's one of my favorite verses in the scripture because I, I just feel like it's one of those moments where I, could, I can just picture how Jesus said it. And he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. They use their authority that they're given to lord it over other people and their high officials exercise authority over them. 
but not so with you. But not with us. That's not how we wield our authority. Jesus says, all authority is mine. And in my kingdom, if you wanna follow me, here's what it looks like. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, I just think what we're gonna discover as we walk through the book of Mark is that we all come with presuppositions about who Jesus is, what he's supposed to be doing in our lives, what it means to follow him. And at every point, Jesus is trying to get his disciples to see that the cross isn't just about me dying for your sins so that one day you could go to heaven after you die. It's so much, it's so much more than that. That I'm going to the cross because this walk to the cross is also part of what it's gonna look like for you to actually follow me. And it's in that following of Jesus, in that manner, in that humble servant manner, that it's like that's where the character of Jesus begins to just get formed in us. That that's the kind of people that God is wanting to create to be his hands and feet on this planet. That's who I wanna be. I hope that's who you guys wanna be. We want to be formed in the way of Jesus. That's going to be the thing that changes the world. Ben, would you come back up? And we're going to respond. And I'll pray for us. Father, um, Lord, we just, uh, we just want to come to the scriptures in a really, really humble way. And just like we were talking about in our last sermon series, just about how it's so easy to misunderstand the Bible, Lord, I, we, I, we admit that sometimes we, just, we do that very easily because of our arrogance, because of our um, ignorance also. Sometimes we just, we just, we, we, we look at you and sometimes we write over you the Jesus that we want to follow because it just would kind of work out better for us, for us to follow that Jesus in our minds. And Lord, I, I just pray that you would, you would dig down deep in every single one of us about how we have a tendency to do that how we have a tendency to pick and choose some of, your, some of what it means to follow you, but then leave some of the other harder things on the table. Lord, would you challenge all of us to just come to you and have our perception of you be, be tweaked and shifted and all the right parts about what we believe about who you are and what you have come to do on this planet through us, that all the right things would be solidified. And then all the things that are false are the things that we have slightly wrong or all the things that we have uh, ways of looking at you, but really it's just the things that we want to see. And it's not really the actual you, Lord. Would you help those things crumble to the ground? We just want to have those things crumble to the ground because we want to see you for who you are and we want to follow you to the cross. And so Lord, I pray that would you just give us eyes to be able to, to see that as we unpack what this means, as we unpack, as we walk through the book of Mark, just like everyone else was walking with you, Jesus, so they just didn't quite see it yet, but slowly but surely they saw it. Lord, we want to be disciples of you and we want to be disciples of you all the way to the end. And so Lord, walk with us. Give us grace to be able to do it. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that we get to be empowered 
to be able to please you and be able to be empowered to walk with you. Lord, we're so grateful for that gift. In Jesus' name, amen.